Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today I've got with me Kid Lou, who goes way back in New York City as a street artist. Um, he's been a member of the seminal uh, graffiti art crew X Vandals, and he's also the creator of the character Lumpy Bumpkin. So, Kid Lou, welcome. How how you doing? Kyle, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, kind man, my pleasure. Kind of humbled that you asked me to be a part of this, so thank you. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm happy to have you on. Um, well, so let's just kick it off by going back to your early beginnings. Um, I've read that you. As a, as a little kid, you started drawing Disney and Looney Tune characters, right? Yeah. And, and I was on construction paper. Um, so like, what's your, like, does this go like, as soon as you could, you know, pick up a pencil, basically, were you just immediately attracted to, to drawing what you were seeing on the TV? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, you just (laughs) hit it. That, that, and, um, I guess, you know, uh, my drinking cups, you know, oh, yeah. um, you know, there'd be like Mickey Mouse on the cup or, or Donald Duck or, you know, some other <laughs> yeah. character. And of course, you know, uh, you know, I grew up in that age, you know, as a kid growing up in the seventies, a little kid, you know, that's what was on TV is, you know, Looney Tunes, yeah. Warner Brothers, you know, totally, uh, Bugs Bunny, yeah, you know, uh, the Jetsons, the Flintstones, <laughs> you know, so, um, all those classics. Yeah. All the time. All yeah. the classics. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, it was just, I don't say it was a natural thing. It was just, I just like to draw and, you know, yeah. con- you know, kid construction paper, crayons. I'd be sitting at the table in the kitchen eating. And then afterwards I wouldn't leave the table. I'd be sitting there with, you know, with paper and crayons and drawing. And I wish I had those still. I, oh, know, yeah. Just, yeah. So <laughs> They can go into the Kidloo archives. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you ever get in trouble for drawing on surfaces you weren't supposed to be drawing on? Like the refrigerator or the, the you know, or... <laughs> that's probably why I got sat at the kitchen table. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I am sure over the years, uh, I drew on things I wasn't supposed to draw on. Yeah. You yeah. Know, keep magic, keep the permanent magic markers away. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, well, who did you have a favorite character out of like off from those cartoons to draw? Like the one you kind of was gra- gravitated towards the most? Yeah. You know, I don't want to sound, you know, like that that so, you know, stereotypical or cheesy, but I, you know, probably Mickey Mouse just because it was so available. Yeah. Um, I I just have this fond memory of Donald Duck too, you know, because I, I don't know if it was just you know his he's a wise ass. You know, yeah. he was just a sarcastic duck. Like, I just, uh, that I really fondly remember drawing. Again, this is like, I wish I had this drawing somewhere. Yeah. Or drawings, I should say. Um, so I would probably say, uh, more Disney because that's what was more readily available, uh, tactile in front of me. Right. Whereas, you know, uh, Flintstones, Looney Tunes, that was more fluid because, you know, you didn't have, uh, VCRs back then even. There was no stopping, pausing. There was no, obviously no computers, no internet. So that I watched and that got me into the whole character animation part of it. 
But then the more, you know, like I said, tactile, like in your face, like I could sit there, copy it, was the Disney stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so, like, what was your, your family's attitude towards it? Did you, well, first of all, did you have, did you have any artists and other artists in your family? You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, um, my understanding is that my great-grandmother on my father's side, that's the Chinese side, so I'm half Chinese, half Korean, uh, she was an artist of some sort, uh, but but that's as far as my understanding goes. Mm. Uh, there's no artwork uh, that I ever had uh, that the family has that I know of. Um, but other than that, uh, everybody's into sales, and my dad was an accountant, you know. Yeah. Um, my mom was a realtor. So, yeah, nobody else uh, ever had a creative drive. And did they like, uh, well, like in just in terms of like cultural interest, did you go to museums or as a family or was that more of like a sometimes school trip kind of thing or um, like, in terms of being exposed to, to art? Yeah. So definitely, you know, the, the quintessential school trips. Sure, when you're a yeah, kid, yeah. Uh, you go to you know certain museums. Like I think we even did a weekend trip uh, to DC, and after that mm. weekend trip, I was never allowed to go on another field school trip. That's a story for another day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the museum that, um, but my grandmother on my mother's side, my Korean grandmother, um, she would take me to museums. She would take me to the Museum of Natural History. Oh yeah, uh, went to the Met. And that was that was that was cool. That was eye opening. Yeah, as, as a do, kid. Do you remember any really early memories of uh, any particular like painting or uh, or just style that really jumped out at you? That left an imprint early on. I think you know it's interesting because the Met is my favorite museum now. It has been for years, but when I was a kid, for some reason, I was more attracted to the Museum of Natural History. And I don't know if that's because of all the animals oh, yeah. uh, that reminded me of cartoons. Yeah, yeah. So I always wanted to go to that museum, you know, and she'd take me to the Bronx Zoo. And then I find, you know, years later, I'm like, wow, I really like the Met. But why don't I remember loving the Met so much when I was a kid, right? Yeah. It's kind of that interesting. I could, yeah, but you know, I, I think that, well, I mean, first of all, kids, I think in general love Natural History Museum, yeah. probably over like any other museum. Um, yeah, cause you know, you get the, all those, like, you know, the stuffed animals and the dioramas, and, you yeah. know, the, the exhibits and all that. And it's the cool. big blue whale. Well, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> you know, especially if you're a little kid, that's, you know, whoa, that's incredible to see. But yeah, no, I can, I can see why that would, uh, leave an impression on you early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I'd read that you first got exposed to, um, you know, like basically street art and graffiti in the seventies, you know, when you were riding the subways and, um, specifically with your grandma. Yes. Um, and so, and of course, you know, that was in the seventies, you know, back when, you know, you see photos of the, you know, the interiors and, and exteriors of trains in the seventies and eighties in New York. I mean, every square inch yeah. has got something like scribbled on it. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, like, like what was, what's, what were your early impressions of that? Like when you saw that, um, 
did something click inside your brain? You're like, hey, I, I kind of other people are doing this. I, you know, yeah. I'm getting in trouble for you know scribbling on you know a wall maybe yeah. at home. But hey, this seems like free reign. I mean, pardon <laughs> my language, but I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was still a kid, you know, um, and so my grandmother lived in Queens, and. Uh, so we go. I would go stay with her on the weekends, gotcha. you know, here and there, uh, which to me was just cool, right? Like, you know, because I was born in Queens, raised on Strong Island. So, you know, we're living in a house, you know, out in Massapequa. And on the weekends, I get to go, you know, to Regal Park. Yeah. And Regal Park, you know, <laughs> you think of Regal Park now, is still shady. Regal Park then... <laughs> Was, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. But to me, it was like, yo, this is cool, right? Yeah. It's just you're a little kid, you know, your grandmother, and you're like, yo, my grandmother's badass. This is where she lives. And then we're getting <laughs> on a subway because she worked in Manhattan. Yeah. So, you know, she would take me, even during the week, she would take me to work with her. And I just remember, like, I would sit in the office with her, and they had these, back then they'd have these computer printers with these, you know, reams of paper and these yeah. punch cards and they'd let me go around and take used punch cards and I'd be drawing on them all day and giving drawings to people and just, you know, whatever, just scribbling stuff. Yeah. And, um, but so I'd ride the train with the subway with her and yeah, I mean, subway rolls up and, you know, you have all but two seconds, you know, to look at the outside and you're like, you're like, grandma, what's that? <laughs> and she's like, you know, oh, that's just people drawing on the outside of the train and I'm like, that's cool. How do I do that? You know, but, but you're a little kid, you know, you, and then you sit down on a train and you're just like, like you said, it's just wall to wall tags. Yeah. And I'm looking right going, <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm getting in trouble for this. But these people are doing this and you, you don't know that it's graffiti. You don't know that it's illegal. You're a little kid looking at this going, this is a whole nother world. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like, well, like your grandma's attitude was necessarily like, you know, oh, this, this bad. This, I mean, maybe, maybe she said that sometimes, like tried to, you know, like say it's graffiti and this is like, you know, vandalism, you know, in a, in like a negative connotation or. No, yeah, she, she, was, she was the cool, she was, <laughs> she was cool grandma. She was cool grandma. Right. <laughs> she, yeah, no, she definitely was not like, uh, you don't want to do this. In fact, I mean, get to this, you know, an hour later, you know, they say uh, you get your graffiti name from other people. Like, well, other people should give you your graffiti name. Uh-huh. Other people. And she basically gave me my crew's first name <sighs> and me, my, my, my street name, not Kid Lou, yeah. but, but Halos, uh-huh. because, you know, the older I got and I got into trouble you know, the more shit I got into, she knew, like she, she, it's, it's almost like what type of trouble did you get into when you, when you were a kid, like, you know, I'm looking at her because she just knew and she'd say, say, yeah, what's up? And I'd be like, nothing. <laughs> She's like, you behaving? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm an angel. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that crooked halos. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> that's a good name. So, <laughs> So, I love it. So that's where where I you know I got my street name Halos from, and to make it you know, <laughs> more cred, 
I turned the S into a Z because yeah. phonetics, halos, you know, yeah. so. Whoa. So that's, that's how I came up Thanks, with. Thanks, Grandma. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> right. And, and when I first went out, I used to write crooked halos. Yeah. But then I realized this is taking too long. <laughs> and I cut the crooked off and just turned it into halos. Okay. okay. And then when I saw, you know, as you grow and as you know, you get a little older and you see, um, you know, there was somebody who was writing Kilroy was here and there was a whole thing. I was like, yo, Halos is here. You Love know? it. Yeah. 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 So she, yeah, she was the cool grandma that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think probably covered my ass more times than I could probably count. <laughs> and then when you got going as Halos and started, you know, using that tag, was she aware of it too? She's still around and like knew that you were now. No, okay. No, and that actually came came later that okay. I really went towards that. Uh, earlier on, um, uh, we were doing we were doing other stuff. So. So when you got going, um, what was it, was it like, what was your target generally? Was it trains or was it just anything in a street? Good question. So, uh, again, like I said, at this point, uh, you know, strong Island out there, uh, not always, you know, the subway is not immediately accessible. Yeah. The train is, you know, and then you go in and which, which we would do, uh, but when we started, uh, we just gravitated to walls, to boxcars, to 18-wheelers because we thought, I guess these are our trains. Yeah. You know, um, I always look back and I think, wow, it was this like – not saying that we were the innovators, but I think back that, you know, trains were the target back then. And after trains, you know, then more walls, you know, and, and, and uh, freight trains. But for us, it was like, what can we hit? Yeah. That people could see besides and, – and we were skaters. You know, this is – now we're getting into like my, my early teens and uh, like, eh, like 12, 13. Um, we got into skating. We had, you know, again, skateboard magazines. Uh, so this is like early 80s? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. would be early 80s. And um, we would see videos, you know um, – VHS tapes, because now you had to order this stuff in the back of magazines, yeah, right? Like, yeah, again, there's like no internet. Thrasher. Exactly. <laughs> Thrasher, Transworld. Uh-huh. And um, we would get these tapes, and it was like the Holy Grail. And you see these guys skating places, and you see spray paint with, you know, in the park graffiti, and we're like, yo, that's fucking cool. We got to get in on this. Yeah. So we would go to the, you know, what was, we had, I think it was a Pergaments. Right? This is before, like, these are like, I don't even know if Pergament's still around, but that was like our local hardware store. Oh, okay. And that was the name of the hardware yeah, store. Yeah, it was Pergament's. And, and we weren't allowed to buy the paint because we were too young. <laughs> They'd be like, where's your ID? You can't buy paint. We were like, fuck you. We'd steal the paint. Then we find out years later, all these graffiti guys are racking paint. And we were like, yeah, we were doing that too. <laughs> you know, but we, you know, again, like, you know, like things catch up years later and you put to it, you're like, wow, we were doing that also. But so we would still paint and, uh, and we would go around and everywhere we skated, we would, we would paint, we would tag it up. And yeah. then we realized, oh, now we got box trucks and now we got 18 wheelers in the back of the supermarket and, you know. Yeah, yeah. We'd hit and those this places. is this is out on the island. Too, this is so. out on the island. Yeah, yeah. So so you had to you had to be like a little more creative and careful, I think, about where you where you would put 
stuff up too right because i would think it you know because it's more suburban more policed maybe you would think but back then there wasn't the security that you have now yeah you know there wasn't at least i don't think that with the security cameras you have now no probably not because we would skate all hours of the night in the back of the supermarket and nobody would come around the only time the cops would ever bother us is we were skating in the church parking lot and we weren't going to tag that up. I mean, I'm not a religious guy, but you just, <laughs> there's certain things you just, you go, you know what? I'm not going to, I, I have some morals. <laughs> I don't have a lot, but, but that's one thing I would yeah. never do. Is, no churches, is, maybe no cemeteries. <laughs> no, uh, uh. The cemetery. <laughs> yeah, I've been a few, but no, but no churches. <laughs> okay. No All crosses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no no crosses. Uh no nature. No no rocks, no trails, no Okay. So that was kind of like a like just sort of a, a code you had. It's like a Yeah. Nothing yeah. you really probably like had any kind of formal like talk about with your crew at the time, but it's just you just we just don't do you just that. you just don't do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You just don't do it. You show some respect. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, um, you know, when you were skating and it sounds like you, 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 you know, you had this crew that you were skating with and also, you know, putting up, you know, riding with, you know, street art. Did you have a, what was the name of the crew at that time? Did you have a name? <laughs> Again, God, this is going to sound so cheesy, but you know, you got to be thinking like, this is like 13 year olds, right? I mean, yeah. we weren't, you know, in Manhattan. Uh, uh, so it's not like, you know, uh, you know, ex vandals or, uh, God, it's gonna sound so. So this is my grandmother again. So when we when we were kids, we we literally started off. What I think a lot of kids start off doing is, you know, you start off on your notebook. You write your favorite bands or you know stupid crap like that. And you know we were into heavy metal, so we were big Ozzy fans. And for some reason, it just. We ended up with two names. <laughs> one, one she named one the the quote unquote jocks in 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 you know school called us. So we all wore snapback baseball caps uh, backwards. You know the trucker uh-huh. caps like Black Sabbath, Ozzy, and we all wore them backwards. And I don't know, I don't know who started that, why it started, but it's like if you like there was a core four of us, uh-huh. and you had to wear that shit backwards. So we were suddenly the backwards hat gang. <laughs> so that was one crew. I wait. That's with. what you called yourself? No, that's what they. That's called what they us. call. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't write this anywhere, but they were like, "Oh, here comes the fucking backwards hat gang." You know, like so. That was one crew and that we would go tag shit up. And literally, we started, for whatever reason, just started writing Ozzy all over town. <laughs> it was like Ozzy was God. So it's like we had spray paint, we had markers, whatever. It was just – it was like Ozzy. Yeah. It was kind of like that was our thing. Yeah, yeah. There was no – there was no – it wasn't like um, – what is that? The uh, the usual suspects with it like you're Mr. Brown, you're Mr. Pink. You're, yeah. It wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like <laughs> – it wasn't like your backwards hat, Ozzy, your backwards hat. It was just like we were the backwards hat gang according to people. And we were like, all right, fine. Fuck you, Ozzy. And we just left Ozzy everywhere. But nobody knew who we were. Yeah. Then there was the skate crew. And the skate crew – my grandmother referred to us, and this is where she comes in again with names. 
She's like, well, what was the peanut gallery up to today? Because she just knew. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's good. We got we to gotta use this. You know, so, so, so we literally – and and I start, I don't know why I started this, but there was like, you know, like Mr. Peanut. You know, you think about the Mr. Peanut character on Jaws. Oh, so yeah. we didn't draw him. But I was like, let's just put peanuts everywhere. People are like, what the fuck are all these peanuts? Why yeah. are there peanuts all over town? And it was just- Do they was, have like faces? No, it was no, just, just a just, simple uh, peanut <laughs> with the hashtag lines and just, yeah. and just you know, like, just, it was just this like, like solid, like just a peanut. And we were just everywhere we went. We left peanuts behind. Is this while you were still doing Aussie too? Or so I was doing Aussie that... with one crew. And oh, okay. I was doing and peanuts with the other. And people were like, <laughs> and so it was just two totally different things. And, and we just went with it. Yeah. For the longest time. I love it. I can, well, you know, I can see the, just the attraction to, to putting up the, just the word Aussie too, because you got those two Z's, mm -hmm. you know, and you could probably stylize that in different yeah. ways. It's and the lines of, going through the Z's and yeah, the Y, yeah, like the way yeah. he did it. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can see why, why you, you gravitated towards that. Yeah. Okay. So you had these two different crews right. that didn't really enter, were they both skaters? Skater crews? No, one crew was, was music. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and the other crew was skating. Not oh. that, not that they were like, like there was no war. It was just like yeah. I'm going skating, <laughs> and these guys didn't skate. And then the other days would be like, yeah, I'm gonna go hang out, listen to you know records. So the and, and the, go, the go music on. the the music crew was the Aussie crew. Yes. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. <laughs> and the peanut crew was the, the, skating, the skater crew. The, the peanut gallery. Peanut gallery. You just, you just did you actually start calling yourselves that? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause yeah, we'd be hanging yeah, out and she'd be yeah. like, what's the peanut gallery up to? <laughs> and yeah. we were like, we're just, just, Oh, that's perfect. Out. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I mean, now you think about it, it's just like, oh, that's cute. You know, but back <laughs> then it was just like, yeah, we're a fucking peanut gallery. Like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So then. TPG. <laughs> TPG. Oh yeah. yeah. The peanut gallery. I love yeah. it. And then, so that was, that was, the, we would tag, we would, sometimes TPG. we would write TPG and then yeah. we would leave the peanut. And, yeah. 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 And some I people would ask, they'd be like, do you see, do you see these peanuts all over? I'd be like, yeah, what is that? I don't know. At, so at that time, um, cause you know, that, that culture was really getting going. Like there was more, I'd say kind of wider awareness of it too, you know? And at, uh, I'm, I'm guessing at some point around that period, you, you saw your first, your first, uh, Keith Haring subway piece. Yeah. Which I, I read, you know, that, that made a big impression on you. Like, his style again that was yeah. a that was a holy shit moment it's kind of like a holy holy grail moment yeah yeah um uh you you see this and you think oh this is next level um again you, you saw that young. on a train initially no i saw it i saw it on a black paper like i saw it at a train stop oh, okay at a subway stop and and i you think Holy shit, this is next level because it's no longer on the train amongst hundreds, you know, of tags. Yeah. Uh, it's not in the outside of the train. It's like its own thing on a wall. And you're thinking, again, wow, this guy's allowed to do this. Or girl, like you didn't, I didn't know who this was because, you know, it's not like he was writing who it was. Yeah. You know, um, and you see, and, and you realize it's chalk. 
And you're like, oh, shit, this is next level because it's not spray paint. It's chalk. 2020 hindsight, you know, you wish, you know, as a kid, oh, I wish I fucking ripped one of those down and took it with. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the ones that I saw, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, again, it goes back to the cartoon, the element right. of just, wow, this is a character. And it's so simple. But it, but it's like it's, its own thing. Well, you know, they, like his work, like that kind of there was like a kinetic kind of feel to it, right? Like they feel like they're emotion. Yeah, you know, even yeah. though it's still like you can feel the the motion. Yeah, in it in the work. And he's yeah. got like you know like motion lines with some of them. Sure, so, sure. So, yeah. so it's yeah. like so all of a sudden things are dancing in a single line drawing. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. So that so that style, like his style in particular. And everything, like the, I don't know, the color palette that he used, all of that. So that was like kind of a big next level kind of influence on you. Yeah. And, and, I, and realizing I just, that this is, this, this could be like a whole different, whole different thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, having gone to the pop shop, you know, downtown, um, numerous times, yeah, talk about that. What was that exactly? That so so the pop shop was Keith Towering's, you know, merchandise shop. Okay. For himself. Um So when was this like mid 80s, late 80s? Yeah. And and uh and they kept it open uh for a handful of years or well, a little more than a handful of years after he died. I think they finally closed in 2005. Hmm. Um but uh but he started it uh there was another one in Tokyo. Uh, the inside was painted by him, the whole shop, floor, ceiling, everything. Yeah. Um, they still have a piece of the, the original ceiling, uh, at the American museum across the street from the museum of natural history for anybody interested in checking it out. When you go into uh. the entrance where it's hanging above, you know, the, the entrance, um, but he had his t-shirts, you know, posters, uh, inflatables, you know, like. Like basic licensing, but his yeah. own. It was his right. own stuff. Right. Um, and the older I got and I realized, I was like, wait, wait a second. So he does street, he does gallery, and he does merchandise. Yeah. That's, this is my guy. Like yeah. he was, this is my guy, like as a young kid, like, you know, like stylistically. But the older you get and, and you see what was happening, he was reaching everybody. Yeah, and you could see that there didn't need to be this like um, strict division, you know, between like whatever is sanctioned art, you know, versus street art. You know, uh, he he was kind of like he he was in multiple worlds with that. Yeah, yeah. So did you did you like um, through him um, kind of do deeper investigation into like did you like get books on him, like read about his background, um, like learn about other like his own influences and other other you know people who were working in that style other street artists like like what was sort of the how did it unfold for you from there so that was a whole different time frame back then right and i think you know you know this um again there's no computer there's no internet there's no cell phones yeah you you had to dig to get info and uh, I think just from being around, uh, going into the city and venturing, uh, is how I discovered the pop shop, you know, talking to different people, um, 
there was very few books back then. Hmm. You know, now it's like every year a different book seems to drop. And I'm, I'm a book collector. Like I've got a huge, you know, art library, coffee table books, um, you know, all different artists and animation. And But back then it was very minimal. There wasn't a lot of stuff. So, you know, you go to the library, you might catch an art magazine. I remember when I was a kid even, God, I wish I had this. Um, I read the New York Times article when Basquiat was on the magazine. Like, I remember sitting on the steps oh, wow. uh, in my house, like on the yeah. carpet on the steps uh, on Sunday, the New York Times, you know, because we delivered Newsday. You know, but our family got the New York Times and I remember just flipping through the Times and I was always, you know, into, you know, how old was I then? Maybe 14 or so, um, 13, 14. I was young because we left that house. I was 14 when we left that house. So I had to have been 13 or 14 um, when I saw Basquiat. In the suit, paint, you know, on the cover of, you know, New York Magazine, New York Times Magazine. I'm thinking, what is this? And just open it up and and I'm just reading this and just taking this in. So that that's how, you know, as a kid, you know, I got my information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, you were seeing like, you know, um, you know, these artists like Herring and then Basquiat Mm -hmm. who are getting, you know, these huge platforms at that time, you're getting the New York times. Yeah. And yeah. And that must've been still when Basquiat was alive too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like the, like big introduction kind of to a more mainstream audience. Yeah. That, that cover story. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and you think, right, you're a kid and you know, it's not like, Oh shit, I need to run into a gallery. Cause you don't know that scene. You don't, you don't know that world. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, even though it's, you know, a train ride away, you know, right outside, you know, on the island, just right in, you still don't know. You, you don't know what that scene is. You just see this artist and you go, oh, who's this artist? Well, and you weren't associating it with the kind of, kind of stuff you were doing anyways, probably. I mean, we thought about art galleries. Right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But then you see somebody like Basquiat who's, you know, he's, he's connected to Warhol and he's getting this huge coverage and he's right. in galleries and he's, you know, selling work for like, you know, he's, he was on the ascent. And, and so, yeah, then, then, then at like 13, 14, you're like, well, I can really, I can actually like, I can like make a living doing this. I can like make this my life. Yeah. You start thinking, you know, is this possible? How does this person do that? Yeah. You know, um, and, and, that's around the time when, you know, um, parents, you know, I mean, things are different now, but back then, you know, uh, parents got you like doing sports activities. Parents got, you know, you're like 13, 14, it's like, oh, you're going to play baseball, you're going to play soccer, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. After school activities. And I'm like, and I'm like, I just want to skateboard and, and, um, oh, I want a drum kit. And they're like, what? And it's like, you know, I think if, I'm sorry, around that, you know, little, actually, was maybe a, right around that or a year or so earlier, you know, the, the, in school, they're like, oh, your kid's musical because why? Because I can play that, 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 um, that, uh, what is that, that, not the flute, the, um, the recorder, 
And I don't know if kids still do this today, but back then they had this, you know, it was like the, the little wooden thing with the holes and you played the recorder and you learn how to play and you, and you, you learn how to clap in tune. And they're like, oh, your kid's musical. And they're like, and, 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 they, and they go, well, what should he play? And they go, oh, he should play drums. You can imagine a look on my, my parents' face. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and now he wants a drum kit. But they actually went and got me a drum kit for my birthday. They stuck me in the basement. <laughs> but they yeah. got me they, but they got me a drum kit okay so then like that was your main music thing was drumming at the uh, initially time? initially yeah, yeah was 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 um uh so uh yeah it was drumming for 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 a couple of years and then Were you in a band like a outside of school yeah it was you know like the backwards hack guy yeah you know, so you, so you had um, you had guitar players. One guy was another. He was a bass player, two guitar players. So I played drums. So it was like we we were just Ozzy Black Sabbath and and you know, so you, Bad Iron Maiden and just, <laughs> so like most of covers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And we and 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 there was like whose house? And of course, yeah. my parents were like, "Listen, we got him the drum kit." You're not always going to do it here. Like they'd stick us in the basement and then some of the neighbors would complain long enough. They'd be like, all right, well, you're going to go to their house. And, you know, so we'd rotate and make a lot of noise and I love it and do that. Yeah. What was, um, what was it like, like in New York at that time to see, uh, as a being underage to like actually go to clubs and see, and see music Were were there spaces? So, if you I, ventured into the city and wanted to see like, so well, well, first of all, well, yeah. So metal was your thing. Right. Like, um, did, did, did you, did, did it segue into punk at all? Was that there was some kind of crossover with that or was, were you mainly metal focused? Um, when, with when, what when, you're listening to and making. There was some, there was definitely crossover because now comes the, 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 the peanut gallery, right? The skater crew. And that's all punk. Not yeah. that they're like, oh, you know, fuck heavy metal and vice versa. It was just, you know, this is what people are listening to. You know, Sex Pistols, uh, Agent Orange, you know, yeah. Black Flag. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so there was definitely both sides of it. Were you seeing stuff like, you know, like Raymond Pettibon, you know, how he would do the, the, those, you know, those insane flyers yes. for Black Flag. Yeah. That must have left an impression on you when, you when you first started seeing those. Yeah. So when you go downtown, you know, and you're in the East Village. Yeah. And, and um, so there's another side to, to the whole, you know, street thing. Um, not realizing that it's illegal to put tape flyers up all over, but this was... Manhattan. This was downtown Manhattan back then, and you start thinking, "Oh shit, that's another way to do this." Is is yeah? Just you know, go to the library and Xerox copy again. There's there's no Kinkos. There's, <laughs> no, like you go to the library, you you, you you go with your artwork, you put it on the on the Xerox machine, and you you know, was it a nickel each copy? And you come out with a stack. You figured out later on how to rig the machine so it would just pump out stocks and yeah. <laughs> without having to pay for it and then and then you go into the city with with a roll of t- and even around you know the island and you're just going yeah. around and taping and people are like who the fuck is putting all these flies up all over the place just yeah <laughs> so and then we'd make our own like we, you yeah. know you, you're just hand drawing everything again there's no computers or at least you know no no you know programs you know illustrator or anything like that so we would just hand draw everything. We'd sort, you know, because you'd also see like in, in um, you know, like Thrasher, like Pusshead, 
you see all these ads and you're like, holy shit, this guy's cool. And yeah. He's such a punk element to what he does. Pusshead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, um, where, where does the X, where does the X Vandals come into play with this? So this is funny. So this is years later. Okay. X Vandals comes much later because, um, like I did the whole, you know, graffiti thing, um, punk thing, skating, you know, tagging shit up, uh, when I was younger. Uh, and then eventually I phased out of it. Like I went upstate to school, uh, got out of the city. Um, I got, I got, I could have gone to school in Manhattan. I actually turned down SVA to leave because it was more like, uh, let me get out of the, let me get out of this before I get into trouble type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, when I went up to school, uh, upstate, uh, I was still doing some drawing, but I, that I started phasing into doing music because I got involved. I was playing with, you know, musicians up there while I was in school. Right. Uh, and that's what swung me into when I graduated to do the whole music thing. Okay. So I, it wasn't until, uh, the early 2000s. When I came back around, I left the music scene and came back around to doing artwork. And then one thing led to another, and that's when the X Vandals part comes in. And then, so what? What kind of music were you doing in college upstate? Were you were like officially in a band? Um, it was the same thing. It was you know, it was it was uh, doing cover bands, playing bars. Making you know, making some spare change. You weren't trying to. You weren't writing. No, stuff? we were yeah. just. It was. It was. You know, fellow students. Yeah. Uh, and then you go to clubs. You know, to see bands play downtown uh, in Rochester, and then you meet other musicians, and then you start playing with them. You know, some of the guys. You know, I do. You know, like you play parties. They pay you to play parties, house parties. Other bands, you got played. You know, you got paid to play the clubs. We did that. Um, but when I graduated uh, in '91. I came back down, you know, came home to New York or downstate. Um, and a buddy of mine who I played with in high school, uh, not the backwards hack guy, but one of, <laughs> but there's another guy who actually, he went to Berkeley. So he was like a scholar, you know, called scholar musician. He's like, yeah, well, we're going to start a band and I want you to be in it. And I'm like, all right, I don't read music. I don't, you know, but I do my thing. And, and we started and just, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, right away start doing original music. And were you drumming? No, I, I switched to bass at this point. I okay. switched to bass when I was about 15. Okay. So, um, parents got divorced. We moved, uh, much smaller house. Uh, everybody in town was a fucking drummer. <laughs> I was just like, I was like four strings in the truth. Let's do this. And, and, and it's funny because I, I, I wanted to, like, I, I hustled, I, I worked, I made money and, and, and I was failing. I was failing school. I was about to get left back. Oh. And my mother was like, uh, you're not, you're not doing this. You're not, you're not doing this because you're going to summer school. And I, I had this uncle, uh, he, he, was a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and he he comes out. He was a psychiatrist, but he was he was a head doctor. He comes out from California, family function, and I'm talking to him about this, and I'm just like, I'm like, uh, 
she don't get me. She, he's like, he's like, I'm going to talk to her. And he goes, listen, if he passes and he don't go to summer school, he can buy the base. And she's like, yeah, no problem. Cause he's going to fucking fail. And idiots <laughs> going to summer school. Yeah. <laughs> idiot found a way to pass. <laughs> I might've cheated a little bit, but I still passed. <laughs> and, and I went to Manny's music and, and, you know, when the family friend and got a bass and amp and that led to a whole I bunch of it. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you had fun. It, it was. Yeah. It, it was a good run. And so then, uh, when was, so the ex vandals then when you got like, who, who were they comprised of? How'd you, how'd you meet the people who, do you already know some of them or like when you got back into it, when was this like the early two thousands? Yeah. So, so <clears throat> I did music, uh, all through the nineties. Uh, now did you record anything or was it just, I some, did. Okay. I did. So, um, lots of demos, uh, I was on Columbia Records with a band. Okay. Um, we we recorded an album, but then you know, typical story, A and R guy leaves, so they shelved the album. Uh, I toured with bands that were already on major labels, uh. so I you know did the hired gun thing. Then I would go in afterwards, work on new music. They got dropped. Um, so I did a bunch of that through the '90s until around 2001, 2002. Um, and I just, I was in it for the wrong reasons. You know, like they, they call it sex, drugs, and rock and roll for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much in that order for a reason too. Um, <laughs> and I just, I was just getting into too much trouble. Uh, lots of drugs, you know, so, so. Came more about the, the sex and the drugs and not so much about the rock and yeah. roll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I won't take any of it back. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun. You know, uh, started off doing the garage band thing, you know, playing small clubs back then, like the Continental, CBGBs, Limelight, Mercury Lounge, you know, to yeah. then to then doing these big summer festivals where like, Foo Fighters is on the bill. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, so I, you know, so I ran that gamut and it was a lot of fun. By the time uh, the early 2000s came, I just... I think it was more of a survival thing. And the music industry had changed at that point too. You know, music it was like labels. It collapsing at that time. Yeah. Like that's when like – that's when uh, labels – started taking over. Yeah. And, and, and everybody was, you know, labels were getting bought out. Labels yeah. were folding. Bands were getting signed and getting dropped immediately. You know. Yeah. Every, and so, so I could have kept going probably, but it just – it didn't have that same vibe when I first, you know, when, when I first wanted to be, you know, a musician was in the eighties, you know, you're looking at like hair metal and, and all this. And it's like, Oh, this is fucking cool. <laughs> and again, sex, drugs, rock and roll. By the time I get into it in the nineties, you know, you're in that grunge phase and, and New York isn't really swinging, you know, like we, I don't want to say, Oh, we were that first. I feel like we were some of the bands. We were ahead of our curve. We were ahead of the time and I get out of it. And now in the early 90s, you know, what, what's that documentary out now? Like, Meet Me in the Bathroom? Meet Me in the Bathroom. Yeah, I was actually gonna, about to mention that one. Yeah, so these bands hit at the right time. Yeah. We, we you know, hit, you know, probably five, six years earlier, and there was no interest in it. Like, we, we, oh. we had deals offered, you know, like, by a couple of small what it say small majors at this point because again labels are starting to fold but 
Yeah. Yeah, that actually, um, you know, well, that was a book too, Meet Me in the Bathroom, but I've, I have seen, I haven't read the book, but I've seen the documentary, which is, you know, based off obviously the book. Right. Um, and yeah, it was wild for those bands because, um, you know, what was it like Interpol? What were some of the other the ones? Strokes. Yeah. The Strokes. Yeah. 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 You know, they, they talk about in the, you know, in the, in the documentary about like, that was like the very, like they were all kind of really lucky because they got, I think signed, you know, and were, and kind of had the, the traditional deals mm -hmm. just before it collapsed. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you talk yeah. about right space, right time, yeah. you know, a handful of years earlier, I, I was, uh, working with this girl, um, a singer-songwriter, and she was um, she was a complete uh, Katy Perry, basically. Huh. And we did a showcase at Mercury Lounge. Like, every, every label was there. I mean, you name it. I mean, like, <laughs> shit, John Bon Jovi was in the room. <laughs> it was like, huh. it was, it was kind of weird like that. Um, and nobody bit. And then huh. a handful of years later, same exact thing. I see Katy Perry play at the Mercury Lounge. I meet her. I'm like, I'm like, yo, this girl's this this is gonna happen. And you know, a month later, two months later, holy shit, she's everywhere. And she was just playing, you know, same thing. Like she was playing guitar. She wasn't completely all dolled up. It was like this rock band. She had a full rock band. Yeah. And she, it was just the timing. Yeah. It's so fickle like that. Yeah. You know. So basically you got you know, you got kind of disillusioned a little bit with the music. Yeah. Music biz. Yeah. You know. Um and so then you steered your focus back to, you know, uh street art, basically. Yeah. So I, I went back to school um to do toy design. Oh, okay. At FIT. Okay. Um I I I questioned doing it. I, I got accepted, I turned it down the next year. They were like, you should really do this. I was like, I don't know about it. They were like, well, well, you know, we'll give you some money. Just come and do it. So I did it. And when I did it, it opened up the world. I saw that whole kid robot world. And I'm like, oh, I want to do this. Not realizing that that in itself is its own club. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like, it's like, I'll just leave that where that is. People know, people know. If you know, you know. Um, and, and so I... But I went through it. I went, you know, the, the, the program came out. And uh, while I was there, now at this point, you know, you've got computer. You, you know, you start referencing things. Right. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing graffiti. And I'm like, when did this come back? You know, because you think like through the 80s, you know, all of a sudden the trains were being cleaned. You know, like graffiti kind of was, there was a moment where it just phased, you know. Like, well, that was like all part of like Giuliani's kind of plan right with the city yeah. in the 90s right like i mean it started in the 80s yeah. you know with koch and uh, then every uh -huh. may as you went through yeah they were making it more strict and then you know by the time you got to um to 9 11 graffiti was considered and i think it still is an act of terrorism and they were they were being harsh on people so i think that kind of phased out a lot of you know a lot of people you still had your bombers but I think if people were, oh, shit, if I get arrested, I'm going to go to jail for this for, you know. Um, so around 2005, uh, I started seeing more graffiti. Uh, 
and I had known about five points previously, but yeah. I, I guess I just started seeing it more for whatever reason. Um, maybe, you know, maybe because I focused my attention that, that direction. Um, so I would just start going and taking photos. I would go to Lower East Side. I would go to places where I knew that there'd be, you know, right. the real bombers. And then places where you might see some more legal murals. So you get some, you know, some nice photos and nice pieces. Um, and was, was Banksy going at that time? Did you, were you aware of Banksy? Um, I, I would say a little later on, I got more in tune to him. And what, like, you know, I, so first of all, um, let, let's like get, get even like, like break it down even more. Um, like what would you consider the difference between like street art versus graffiti art? It's a really good question that a lot of people, um, take sides and get very, <laughs> very emotional about so it's me. Not a, not a cut and dry answer. is it sound like, uh, you know what? I, <laughs> I think it's a cut and dry answer because I would say that, you know, people could argue I do both. Yeah. So. What is graffiti? Graffiti is if you go tag something illegal without permission. I mean, that's just it. If you go and you do something and you don't get permission and you're tagging some shit, whether it's a tag, a throwy, a full piece, you know, top to bottom train, whole train, whatever, it's just graffiti. You yeah. weren't given permission to do it. I look at street art as, you know, people will be like, oh, Keith Haring was street art. No, Keith Haring was a graffiti artist. He was doing shit illegal. You know, just yeah. because it's chalk, he was still writing on shit illegal. Yeah. But the minute you give him a mural that you're paying him for, that's street art. Okay. To me, to me, okay. I look at it as that's it's in the word street art. It's yeah. on the street. It's artwork. You're putting it up. You're getting, you know. So that's how I equate the two. Some people may listen to this and be like, "Your kid leaves off his fucking rockers." But yeah. just like the, the the name for where you're coming from, the name graffiti or the word graffiti is it has a connotation of uh, uh, being illegal. That's how I look at yeah. it. You know, I I, I would, unsanctioned versus san you know sanctioned. That's yeah. how I look at it. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't know what some of the OG guys think. I I try to avoid these conversations because I feel like if you're on my side, there's nothing to talk about. We agree. If you, if you're not on my side, you're gonna try and talk me till you're blue in the face as to why I'm wrong and you're right. <laughs> But but I'll look at even, you know, um, you know, so Banksy, I look at him as a graffiti artist. I'm sure the UK looks at him as a graffiti artist. But you'll have people that will say, yo, but it's not tags. It's, it's, dude, that guy's going out in the middle of the night and, and bombing shit. At least, you know, maybe now some people want him and they tell him, oh, we'll give you the wall to do it. But I don't yeah. think so. He's still, you know, or his crew and people he's had doing yeah. So then um, you had mentioned five points. So five points, you know, is long gone, unfortunately, now. Um, right. But it was a big complex warehouse complex yeah. um, that, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, artists were, were given permission to, you know, like become part of that of of that crew or that scene yeah. and put up your work yeah. inside and out. Well, inside it was studios, right? There's a lot of graffiti on the inside too. Yeah, yeah. But but mainly it was studios. Yeah, for like, a while they, they were like official studio spaces. For oh people. yeah, like yeah, there was yeah. there was um uh in fact the guy who like I think art directed the opening ceremonies for the Sochi Olympics had a studio. Oh okay. Yeah. In, in that building right before it got whitewashed. 
Yeah. And that was like a, you know, um, super controversial, pissed off a lot of people, you know, uh, and, um, you know, what, how do you, what do you think that did to the, to just the, the community as a whole? Like how did it impact you personally and how did it impact like people you knew in that world? So for me, did it feel like a giant middle finger or something to, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for me, it was, look, there was always talk about that building coming down, right? There was always talk about the owner wanting to, uh, turn it into condos. So, you know, it's so dumb too. If you would think, well, you know, we don't have to get into the details specifics about the owner, but not realizing the value like of keeping that space kind of how it was. I mean, they could have still even, you know, if they're thinking about it in, in terms of a profit, if they're profit oriented, they could have still maintained something about like the integrity of that space and still found a way to like, I don't know, you know, make money off of it without right. wrecking, like pissing off, you know, thousands of people. Right. Well, they, so, so, you know, right. Without getting so deep into it, the bottom line is, is yes, it was his building. Yes. He has the right to do what he wants to do with it. However, he gave permission for the building to be painted on. And what a lot of people don't realize is that he was doing that to cover all the cracks. <laughs> He, I mean, that building was a piece of shit building. It was a giant warehouse, basically city, city block, like avenue to avenue, street to street. Right. And, and super of, old, right? Right. And, and there was actually, um, I want to say it was like, uh, 2009 or somewhere around then, a girl, the stairwell fell and the girl fell off the stairwell and it was a major accident. Oh, wow. And, yeah. and like, so there were liability issues. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like a month or so early, I literally was on that stairwell taking photos. And then when you see it on the news and you're like, holy shit, I was on that stairwell recently. Yeah. Um, but they kept it going. And then uh, we, we uh, you know, had been trying to, to get it landmarked. And we were going, you know, having events on the weekends. Um, and uh, well, I should say we, I should they, the Five Points team – would hold events um, and to collect signatures. And, you know, since I was painting there all the time at this point, uh, I decided to try and help out yeah. and collect signatures. And there was one, the weekend before the whitewash, it was a very successful weekend. I mean, you had thousands of people that rolled through and were signing the petitions. And I guess they decided enough is enough. And, you know, in the middle of the night, right after that, you know, like, you know, two days later, they hired all these illegals and whitewashed the entire building. Yeah. And, and I, you know, as far as the community, I could only speak for some of the people that I met, but, but I had met people. So we would still go there on weekends because at this point, you know, it wasn't at this point, it wasn't about getting, you know, signatures. But just talk to people. You know, I had a table there, so I was still selling some, you know, some artwork I would sell on weekends. And people would come by. And they were, I remember one couple in particular said, you know, we just bought a, a, a co-op down the block because we could see this building out our window. And I, I thought, wow, really? And they were like, no, we're being dead serious. Yeah. And I thought, wow. That's just, you know, and, and when you say – you know, how he could have monetized on this. You know, I'm sure if he had worked it out, 
you know, with, with, you know, the, the people who took care of the curating, you know, you had people that traveled there from all around the world. And because of that, I have artwork sitting in people's homes all around the world, you know, that I sold to on a weekly basis because it was a tourist destination. Yeah. Yeah. It totally was. And, um, sounds like with all the support, supportive people out there, you know, for it, he could have gotten a lot of help with renovating it and, you know, um, keeping, keeping it kind of keeping the integrity of it without totally destroying it. So yeah, it's just, it's just messed up. And then, and then, you know, clandestine just doing it, you know, undercover, Yeah, you know, um, you know how bitter he was too, is two weeks after. So one of my roll gates did not get whitewashed because by the time they got around the building to where that roll gate was, that business, the food carts, they were open (laughs) and the roll gate was up. So they're bringing their carts in and out. He's white. They're whitewashing the building. When I got there that night to go check it out, people were like clamming around this wall gate, uh, the wall gate, the roll gate, taking photos. Cause they were like, yo, kid Luke came and painted a roll gate, like as a fuck, you know, I was like, no, that roll gate <laughs> was there. That roll gate survived and come to find out because it was open. Yeah. I spoke to the guys who ran that you know, that food cart business. And I said, listen, they were going to take that roll gate with them. They, they claimed to their next spot. I said, listen, let's, I'll buy you a roll gate for the next spot. Let me get that roll gate when you close. Here's the card. Here's, here's my, and the guys, here's my info. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take, we'll give you the roll gate. The owner comes down, you know, a couple of days later and, and sees that I'm outside on the property, selling artwork. We were allowed to still be there. He calls the cops, tries to have me arrested. When the cops tell him, no, he's allowed to be here, he's like, okay, fuck you, and he paints the roll gate. Oh, man. That's how bitter this guy God. was. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can't, you know, you just shrug your shoulders at that point and go, you know, whatever, man. This is why, you know... <laughs> This is why we went after you in court, so just leave that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it sounds really messy. And, un- you know, obviously it, it, it it's super unfortunate. And, um, yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, it had, it had its time. It sounds like, you know, you, it, it gave, it gave a lot of, uh, kind of space and opportunity for people, you know, for a good, good check of time at least to, yeah. you know, to put up work and, you know, get it seen by, you know, as you said, it became like a tourist destination. Yeah. You know? People would come from around the world yeah, yeah. and ask to paint. People come from around the world just to see the building and spend hours there taking photos Yeah, because there was just so much to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, it's, I remember it because I've been here for a while too. And, um, I remember seeing it and yeah, it was, it, you know, it was, it was a basically a landmark, you know, it should have been. It could have been. Well, you were trying to make it official. Yeah. 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 I mean, I get it. You know, yeah. look, the face of New York City is going to continue to change. But, you know, when, when you when you do what you did and then he, he calls the condos, condos at five points now. It's like, I, I can't touch that because it's not my name. You know, it's not. Yeah. But I yeah. just sit there and I go, well, there it is. So. <laughs> so before we uh, run out of time, there's I still want to cover a couple things. And, sure. and the biggest thing I wanted to, to get into is. Um, so you're colorblind. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just really interested in how, 
um, you know, that's affected your whole approach with what you do visually. Yeah. Um, first of all, just briefly, like what kind of colorblindness do you have? Like, can't like, can you see color at all? Like, yeah. I don't really know much about the different types of colorblindness. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, I think it took me years to really understand, uh, what my, that, what my colorblind issue was. Um, cause you know, cause I, so I can see color. So I'm not that very rare where it's like you only see shades of gray, I guess. Um, but the older I've gotten, you know, like when I was, you know, in my twenties, you know, I asked to have a colorblind test and they go through the book, I guess. Well, it's not, I guess they do it, but I guess the way the book works is they, to see if you can detect color in, at all. They go through the first so many pages. Okay, he can see color. And then I guess there's three spectrums to, mm. to determine what level you don't, you have a problem with. And with me, every time they do it and they go through, they get into that first spectrum, <laughs> I just, I get lost. And they go, okay, and they shut the book. And then years later, I go, I'm thinking, oh, maybe this fixes itself because I see color, I'm doing my thing. Go to another eye doctor and they go, you know, this doesn't change. It doesn't get worse, but it doesn't change because every time I go to an eye doctor years later and, you know, they go through and the same thing would happen. They open the book, they get to the first, you know, spectrum, whatever, they start flipping pages and, yeah. you know. Well, when did you first realize that you, you weren't perceiving color the same way that other people were? Did, I, did that go way back to when you were a kid? I, you know, I would say probably uh, when when I was in college and because it wasn't even in high school you know I, i'd say probably in college because you know i went to school for photography yeah and they teach you how to do color printing uh, yeah. <laughs> when the professor comes to you and he goes he goes hey man we got to talk and i'm like about what he goes he goes he goes you know this is like too saturated right or you know that this is too green right or you know this is too and i go i go no, i don't know i'm like no and, he, and i was like oh yeah and you know <laughs> and then like, then you go go get a you test get your eyes checked right you should go get a go get your uh, right color, and yeah. then come back and you go oh yeah um <laughs> shit i'm colorblind you're gonna kick me out of no no but now i know let me help you you know and they you know so how is that is it, well in what ways do you think that's like uh affected how you approach uh your work in general in terms of color color palette um or anything with visual your visual presentation i i you know i it used to bother me um because i used to think um and am i am i not am i not getting uh the response you know or am i not going to get the response because people are going to look and be like oh he doesn't know fucking color like he's his shit's all all over the place but ultimately i think it helped me because so so when i got into um x vandals um uh, I started painting with them, uh, and, 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 you know, they were the ones who actually got me to paint again. It was, it was, you know, just real brief. It was, you know, like, um, 2009, I met Nick 707. He, he kept bothering me to paint. I didn't want to paint. Like, I just, I was like, not that I didn't want to paint with them. I was just like, yo, you guys are OG and I don't want to like, I just haven't painted in years. Like, I don't want to look like an idiot. You know, he kept pushing, pushing, pushing. He finally got me to go out there and paint. Um, started painting with all these guys. Handful of years later, they asked me to join. Um, I said yes. I was a little reluctant because I was like, yo, you guys are OG. 
right? There might be some lashback because people be like, fuck, why are you fucking ex-vandals? And I'm like, you know what? Haters be haters. Keep talking about me instead of yourself, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. But so, so where the color comes in is when I started painting with those guys and I started painting again, um, I, I only painted with black, white, and red. Okay. And people, I think, would start looking at my pieces and being like, yo, this shit's unfinished because it would be white characters, all black line with some red, like hearts and red outline. And, and so I, when, I, when I was painting with the X-Vandals crew, they did an Easter wall uh, for Easter one weekend. And I remember it was like, yo, you know, like halos, you know, you got to, kid, you got to use, we should do some color. And I and I was like, well, I can't fucking, I don't, don't want to fuck this up. And it just so happened that these guys had colors I borrowed, and they were they were bright, and I could see them. And when I when I painted, I was like, oh shit, wait a second. And it just that's how my palette became what it is because I based it off of bright poppy colors. Yeah. And then what's funny is right, you go back to when I grew up, cartoons, animation. And, and the bright colors. Yeah. So, so I think it's just kind of one of those universe things happen for a reason. And my color palette developed because of me being colorblind. And now people, you know, they see it and they go, Oh, you know, that, that's, that's his, I think they kind of expect that color palette now. Yeah. Well, and, and this, this, this kind of leads me into, I wanted to talk, uh, I want to definitely touch on Lumpy Bumpkin. Sure. Because, and then when you were talking about how, you know, you were doing, uh, you said black, white, and red, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, so this, this character, um, is, well, has a little red heart, <laughs> yeah. but it's otherwise black and white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, Lumpy, Lumpy Bumpkin. Um, how, how did, how did, how did this character come together? So like, what's he, the origin? Yeah. Right. That's so so I had, this is, I don't know how this plays into this, but um, I, I took an animation class way back, you know, like 1990, some shit. And the animation teacher, I was drawing all these characters and doing all this stuff in claymation. And for some reason, the teacher always saw something and said, so there's a bit of you in that. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, he goes listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. He goes, think about all the great animators. You know, like the nine old men from Disney and think about like <laughs> Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny and, you know, Warner Brothers and all this. All the, all the animators put something of them into their characters. Yeah. It's just an innate thing. And I thought that's, that's interesting. And so years later, I'm trying to do, you know, different characters and like, oh, you know, still thinking, how can I get into Kid Robot? How, thinking, thinking it was like this holy grail and realizing afterwards you got to be part of the club. But anyway, I'm sitting there drawing, drawing all these characters and, uh, friends. So I, so I did, I, I, so I had this black book and this is 2008 and I drew, I drew one drawing of Lumpy. The way, you know, like a rough of the way. It's kind of like, like if you saw the Simpsons back in the late 80s and what they look like then and what they look like now, yeah. you'd be like, oh shit, that's <laughs> a really funny drawing of Bart. If I, I show you the, the photo um, of, of, you know, a picture of, of this drawing of Lumpy and you'd be like, oh, that's funny. So, proto, it, it, proto Lumpy. Yeah, it yeah. looks like him, but it's just <laughs> like, oh, I could see where you clean this up, you know, kind of like, yeah. you know, like the Simpsons. So anyway, I did this 2008 and, um, uh, 
it's, what is it? Friends with you, the, the, you know, the, the, the art duo, um, they, they, um, they did some signing, uh, a toy release, like this blind box thing at some store, um, in the West Village, uh, in 2008 or two, yeah, 2008, 2009, like right, right around then. Anyway, they both see my black book. They're flipping through it before they, they hit it. And separately without knowing that Sam and Arturo, each one had said this, they're like, yo, this, this, this guy right here, this one drawing. You should do something with this. It just resonated. And I was like, okay. So that's when I so so that's when I first did the resin lumpy. And and I did a did a signing with um with my plastic heart at a New York Comic Con, sold sold a, a number of them. And then uh when DK Toys, uh he he was like this wholesaler of like the whole like kid robot type stuff. He took a bunch and wholesaled them out and sold them. But when it was done, I didn't do anything with them because I didn't feel like enough people bit. And and I was doing the Halos was here stuff, all my other characters, like my bit, my Belos, Squidlos, like all these other characters, uh, you know, that, that, um, that, you know, I was painting, yeah. you know, at the X Vandals walls at, you know, uh, at five points. Um, so Lumpy kind of just got put to the side. And then um, I say, you know, a handful of years later, uh, well, it was after five points. Um, it's more than a handful of years later. Uh, I, I don't know. Something made me go back to him. I just, you know, is it one for the ages? I, I don't he know. called to you. Lumpy, yeah. Lumpy's like, I'm not going it now. I, no, you know I, what? I need to exist. Yeah. It might have <laughs> been that I, you know, I was seeing characters like Pusheen and, you know, all these other, you know, Hello Kitty. And I'm thinking, yeah, I got a character like that. That's not that. That's my own. Um, I brought him, <laughs> I just brought him out of retirement and, <laughs> and he started getting recognition more so than, than the other stuff I had been doing. And I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it just it just connected with people. Well, so what, like, what, so Lumpy, there's like kind of a, uh, I mean, he's got this little heart. He looks a little grouchy. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I, I feel like, I feel like it's kind of like a love, a lovelorn character. So, so he's not grouchy. I can promise you that. Although he okay. can get grouchy, he he can get grouchy. Um, he, <laughs> you so know, many, 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 many different uh, sides to lumpies. You know, me. it's it's I think <laughs> right. So it's it's funny because um, this is where I started thinking what my what my one teacher said to me years ago. He's like, you know, there's a bit of you in, in, in every character, and I think, well, what the fuck? Is, what do I have to do with lumpy? I mean, I I mean, I created him. But beyond that, I'm like, wait, am I lumpy? Wait, I'm not this like fat cheruby, like this fat little, you know, dough headed, like this, this dumpling headed, you know. Um, I, I created lumpy. So, so, uh, set the record straight. He's not a bear. Okay. He's, he's not a dog. <laughs> he's, he's lumpy. He, um, he's, I, you know, I think just in general, uh, I, I was, was, Going for a little bit of a Buddha thing, 
but I didn't want a Buddha. Oh, I didn't want people to kind be, of a belly. Yeah, I didn't want people to be like, oh, it's a Buddha. Like I never you know? would have thought Buddha at all. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but it was the idea of like he's got his little belly. He's he's got that like that that that's the way he sits. He's got this big bald round head, like yeah. you know, like you know roundish head. Um, and he's a philosopher. So you know if you go you know like when when you know when I do my drawings and post up, it's like you know. Basically tells you what Lumpy thinks. Lumpy thinks and, and he'll tell you. And, 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 you know, I put that in my drawings. So he, uh, yeah, he, he's. So Lump, he's, yeah, it's kind of like where, where, where it sounds like where your head's at at the time too. Like yeah. how Lumpy manifests. Yeah. Yeah. But like on, on Lumpy, on Lumpy's, uh, Instagram page, there's a tagline, put a little lump in your heart. Yes. That's why I was thinking kind of like, like heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak or something, or he's like lovesick because he's got this little heart and he's kind of a little, a little frowny, you know? And then, then when I see put a little lump in your heart, I'm like, Oh, he's got a lump in his heart. Yeah. And, <laughs> and his, and his, his whole thing is, is to go around and, and put a little lump in your heart. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, there's, there's lump could be good or bad too. I guess if you want to, I got, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just think that there's a lot of, I mean, like we all have bad days and we all have, I just think that, um, you know, uh, I guess this goes back to, you know, uh, you know, Keith Herring and, you know, the whole idea of licensing and, and, you know, it's not just stick something on a t-shirt or stick something on a bag. It's to me, um, there should be meaning to it. You know, and I know yeah. some people will look at my stuff and be like, oh, it's just a fucking character on the wall. And it's just, and I sit there and go, well, there's more to it than that. It depends on how far you want to delve. And if you, you know, again, if you go through, you know, the Instagram and you see the drawings and, and, and there'll be a little phrase and, you know, that, that may say like, you know, like keep your enemies close, but, you know, you, you know, and, and whatever, but, you know, um, you know, be friends, but whatever that saying is. But anyway, well, you know, he's he, he's flexible, basically. Yeah, you and kind and, of like you, yeah, you you can kind of like tailor, uh, like Lumpy can kind of fit a lot of different moods and, and point of views. Sounds like yeah, you, and and in general, it's it's you know when I when 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 I when Lumpy puts himself out on the street. <laughs> It's not the record straight. When Lumpy decides he's going to leave, you're his working mark, for Lumpy. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, because kind of, you know, well, because <laughs> I recently got an email from somebody because I tagged the outside of what was their gallery, and I thought it was somebody else's wall, <clears throat> and they were like, they were like, well, you see, he tagged our our wall again, and if you do it again, we're going to tell the authorities. I was like, oh. I did not respond to that. I was like, I was like, I don't want to piss anybody off. And I was just like, oh, but you show graffiti artists. <laughs> so anyway, um, so Lumpy. I love the irony of that. Yeah. 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 So when Lumpy, <laughs> yeah, this happened inside a gallery too and they banned me and I went, oh, I'm heartbroken. Anyway, so when Lumpy decides to leave his mark, I, I you know, sometimes I, I, I will watch him. Say, you know, say, put a little lump in your heart. And sometimes I see people walking by before I leave and I see them, oh, and I'm like, there it is. Yeah. There it is. It's like, take it, take it how you want it. It's yeah. like, you know, so, 
you know. I love how so he just kind of takes on a life of his own and, and through other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's beautiful. like, it's the idea of like, make art your own. Like, yeah. you know, I could sit here for hours. I'm sure you talk to artists and I'm not like digging on anybody and be like, describe your work to you blue in the face. But to me, art, music, anything creative should be subjective. Yeah. You know, it's, it's how, how does it touch you? A song. If a song has lyrics, the, the, the person writing it might have written it a certain reason, good, bad, ugly, sad, what happy, whatever. But if you listen to it and you can make it your own, then I'm sure that makes that musician happy. Because yeah. you connect to it. And I say that with my artwork. If, if, you know, as long as you connect to it and, you know, it's, it's like, you know, put a little lump, lumpy, put a little lump in your heart. <laughs> and yes, I did steal it from put a little love in your heart, but all the great artists steal, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's tradition. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, here's something I just throw this out there because, you know, uh, a lot of people for years I've been, you know, it was always Kid Lou thinks. And I would tell people what I thought. You know, it's like, because, you know, you see on social media, it's like, there's your name. And then you write something. So I was like, Kid Lou thinks. And, and people are like, why are you always telling people what you think? I'm like, isn't that the idea? And I go, isn't that what fucking Basquiat did? Isn't that what Samo did? And it's like, plush safe he thinks, right? And I'm like, I'm stealing that shit. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, no, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta be out there for people to kind of perceive in their own way. You know, it's gotta be open enough, flexible enough. I feel like, you know, good art, any kind of good art, no matter what, how it manifests visual or as you were talking about with music. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta, it's gotta be able to resonate on different levels with people. And I can see Lumpy working like that and other, you know, other work that you've done for sure. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that's, so it really, you know, um, you know, moving forward, that's, you know, I, I still use some of my other characters in pieces I do with Lumpy. Um, How know, many characters do you have? Is it sort of like a little, little crew of characters? I do. I have, um, so there's, there's a, there's a, like, I'd say there's like a small corral of <laughs> corral, what's, yeah. of, of what's, uh, like the Halos was here. Yeah. So it started with B-Lows, um, which you know, which is a little bee character. Uh, there's Squidlows, which is a squid. Uh, there's Medusa, which is you know she's like the female bee with you know with with Medusa type you know parts to her, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's um, there's uh, Puffers with a Z, um, which which is uh, you know uh, my you know puffer fish that I did, um, and then there's there's variations of them. You know, all, all sorts of variations when I would do different paintings, whether I do murals or do drawings or paintings. Because um, when I work, it's it's straight to canvas or straight to wall yeah. or even ink to book. Like I don't use pencil. I don't have a sharpener. I don't have an eraser. It's just, it's just whatever's in my mind. And I think, again, this goes back to Keith Haring. Yeah. Um, any footage or what I knew of him back then is that he would just – I'm sure when he did it in the moment, he knew what he wanted to do, but he didn't like preemptively sketch it out. Like even today, I don't see sketchbooks where it's like all these sketches of the paintings. I think he just put the canvas on the wall or there's the mural. He had an idea what he was going to do and then he just did it. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. so, so even when I do sort of a spontaneous yeah. approach and yeah. that's, and I do that and even with lumpy, like when I create lumpy pieces, it's the same thing. Like I just, you know, in that moment it goes down on paper, canvas wall, right? whether he's, you know, on a skateboard or, you know, a lot of times he's got a balloon. Sometimes he's holding a belos, you know, so he's you know, on a string. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it's just, sometimes I'll read, <laughs> I'm big on fortune cookies. I'm not saying that stereotypical just because, you know, I'm the Asian, but it's like, I feel like you get some good ideas from fortune cookies. Just crack open a fortune cookie and be like, yeah, there it is. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Actually, fortune cookies can kind of like, like, yeah, no, take them literally, but, but it's like, can kind of make you think about something in a different way. They're, they're little, they're little poems. In a yeah. Way, you know, like I, like yeah. I'm, like I'm friends with, with uh risk, you know, that the LAOG guy. And, um, uh, he's got this keep on keeping on that he does, which is, which I think is really cool. Cause kind of, I think of it as like, you know, back in the day, like keep on trucking, but that's his keep on keeping on. And he puts in a lot of pa- paintings and I just found, I actually found a fortune. I just, I got to get it to him. The fortune says keep on keeping on. I was just like, holy shit. This is just, well, wow, that was, is, you actually got that. In a I got that as a fortune. <laughs> and I thought, wow. I thought, wow, this is the universe, man. Yeah. Like, so, so, so if you get a good fortune, just lead by fortune, lead by, lead by you know, like, I don't know. So, yeah, so yeah. sometimes, like I said, I'll get a good fortune. I'll be like, oh, this will be a good piece. This will be a good, you know, and just, and just let the, you know, the image flow from there after. Yeah. That. No, that sounds like the best way for you. That's the, the, the most natural way for you to kind of create. Sounds yeah. like in general, more spontaneous. Just being open to whatever is like, like flowing through you, whatever's yeah. manifesting. Because I know, you know, I it's it's, I, I know a lot of artists, you know, will sketch out ideas. So, uh, if if I have, I I work best under pressure, which is probably why when I paint a mural, like if it's a legal mural, I don't preemptively think about it. Like I did a mural up in in you know up in Toronto on the side of a building. You know, three stories high on a lift, the whole, like, it was fucking huge. You know, it was like hundreds of cans of spray paint, no roller, no stencil, no nothing. And they, you know, they hired me to do this. And, you know, they flew me up there, you know, the whole cabang. And and they were like, look, we need a sketch. We need something to show them. I told them, I said, but I free flow. And they were like, this wall is huge. You can't just free flow it. It's like, you have to, we need to get approval on this. I was like, fine. So I gave him something. And when I got up there, I was like, I was like, yeah, fuck that. I got the guy on the lift. I was like, just bring me up and down, up and down. And, and, and I just started adding shit. Like I totally, like I kept a few things because I thought it would work. Yeah. But in between, like I was just adding more characters and adding shit. And she's watching this over the days and she's like, that doesn't look like the sketch. I go, yeah, I told you. Like, like I warned you. I, I fucking warned you. And I go and I go and I go and I'm like I'm like I'm like you want to change it? You come up on the lift. <laughs> you know? like, Were they ultimately happy with it? Yeah. So that yeah. that was in 2016. It was yeah. supposed to last a year. They told me, right? Um, because she knew about the five points lawsuit, and uh, of course this is up in Canada, so it's like you know it's international at that point. It's not. But she was like, look. We're paying you. We're paying you a lot of money, but this is going up for a year. You know they're going to want to do rotating artists. And I thought, okay, I don't care. You're fucking paying me. You're paying me, you know, decent amount of money, like a good amount of money to go up there to do this. Um, 
it's still there seven years later. I just, I was at a gallery. Um, I can't remember her name, but the artist was there with a husband and, you know, we were talking and they go, oh, from Toronto. I told him, I said, oh, I have a mural up there at this building, like the side of this IMAX building. And they were like, holy shit, we know that mural. And I go, oh, you must have seen it a couple of years ago. And they go, no, it's still there. We just saw it the other day. And I thought, nice. I thought, oh, you lied to me. I want more money. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, we got to wrap this up, unfortunately. Um, but it was awesome talking with you. Kid I Lou. appreciate it. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate you. You, uh, being here and talking with me. Um, I do want to mention also, um, uh, with this episode, I'm going to put up a page on the interlocutor magazine website with, uh, links to your work. You know, I can also embed some images. Um, so just for people listening, if not familiar with kid Lou, um, you can have that as a reference. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, thanks again. And thank you for everybody listening. Um, uh, you can check out, the online edition of interlocutor at interlocutorinterviews.com. Check for updates on Instagram. It's at interlocutor.interviews. And also, you know, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, um, you can sign up to be a subscriber, throw some bucks our way via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site and I'll be back soon with another interlocutor interviews podcast episode. And once more, thank you very much, kid Lou. Tyler, thank you so much, brother. I greatly, greatly appreciate it.